Exodus chapter 17, and I'll begin reading in verse 8. says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him as he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now if we skip to chapter 18 and verse 13, it says, The next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it all alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice. And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure And all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. I think it was the fall before last, Lisa and I were headed out to the pumpkin patch over by Ericsburg over there to go be with some grandkids and stuff as they picked out pumpkins. It was in the fall. And on our way down along the side of the road, just out, if you got out of town a little ways, there was a car that was pulled off on the shoulder of the road or actually kind of in a, a little driveway area into a field. And a few younger, like maybe mid-20s, upper-20s age girls that were standing around the car. And and so we turned around to see what trouble they were having. And and I got out of the car and walked up, and they had a flat tire on the front of the car. And they had a jack out, but it was kind of pushed down into the sand and tilted sideways. And and they said, well, every time we go to jack the car up, it, it moves a little bit. And I said, well, can I help? And one of the gals there was like, oh, no, no, we got this. We don't need you. But, you know, I just, I just couldn't leave. I just, I, just, I just kind of stood there for a minute, kind of chit-chatting with them and watching them a little bit. And finally, I kind of looked at the other girls, and the other girls were like, let them help. And finally, I'm like, you know, if you just 
let me in there a little bit. I could get you going. And, and so finally she's like, oh, okay, go ahead. And so I found something to put underneath the jack and broke the nuts loose on the wheel and then jacked it up and changed the tire. And shortly they were on their way. And, and so were we. But, you know, I just thought, you know, it's a bummer when people could use a little help and just for one reason or another, I just don't want it. In all of our lives, we all need some help from time to time. There's times when I've had the privilege of lending help to other people. There's also been times in my life when I've needed help and was thankful for other people that were happened to be around or came along at just the right time or whatever the case may be. But we, we all find that we can be on both sides of that equation at different points in our lives. You know, that just goes to highlight something in our life is that our lives are not meant to be lived alone. Our help is needed, and actually we need for ourselves to be able to be a help to other people at times. But there's also times when we need it. And that's exactly what we're finding all throughout this passage. That's what we see is, is people needing help. And we see the way that God has designed that to function in that way. We see the fact that we are made for community. We're not islands. In fact, there's been times when I've been out on an island in a lake and needed somebody else to tow me back in off of it. Once because I ran out of gas. Once because my boat broke down. (laughs) So even when we're out on an island, sometimes we need that help. We are really made to experience our life inside a community of other people. That's why God designed, look at the things that he's designed. He's designed families. And he's designed churches. And he's designed communities. He's designed nations of people. We're meant to live within relationships with other people within community. Not just in Old Testament Israel that we see it, but we even see it in the New Testament in the church. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9 would state this. And, and this is at a time when he was correcting the church because they were holding one person up as greater than another. They were doing it on different levels. They were doing it uh, individually. If you read towards the end of the book of 1 Corinthians, that they were because some people had one gift and other people had a different gift. People with more visible gifts were kind of looking at themselves on a higher level than other people. And he corrects them for that. He says, you know what, let me show you a better way. Faith, hope, and love. That's the better way. But earlier in the book, what was happening was people were saying, I'm following Paul. Another group was saying, I'm following Apollos, who was another dynamic Christian leader at that time. Some people were saying, I'm following Peter. Well, some other people trumped them all by saying, I'm following Jesus. And so there was this kind of a pull on who was the better teacher, who was the greatest apostle, who was... So there was kind of an identity class warfare a little bit within the Corinthian church. The apostle Paul would write to him and say, look, you got it all wrong. You're completely missing the boat when you're doing this. In verse... 5 through 9, he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. His point is, yes, I taught among you. I planted some seeds among you. Apollos comes along. He waters those seeds of truth that I planted. We're all part of the same team here. We're all part of the same community. We don't need to raise one up as better than the other. We're all part of this one body. And all through the book of Exodus, we've been seeing so many things about Christ, things that kind of foretell Christ, kind of maybe prefigure or, or, or picture ahead of time Christ and what he would do when he comes. If we see Christ in all of those things, I would say what we see today is the body of Christ in the book of Exodus. Because 
Moses is who God sends to deliver the people, but we find that Moses is not going to, it's too big of a job for him. He can't do it all alone. And he's going to need some help. And there's many different avenues of help that are found in these two chapters in the book of Exodus. So as we consider being made for community, we're going to find four different ways that we all need help. And the first way that we need help is through prayer. In chapter 17, Amalek is coming out against the children of Israel. And so Israel is going to go to war and protect itself. And Moses tells Joshua, get some men and go get ready to fight. But notice it's very interesting. Moses is going to go up on top of a hill. And Aaron, his brother, is going to go with him. And Hur is going to go with him. And as long as Moses is holding up his hands, then Joshua and the armies of Israel down on the battlefield are winning the battle. When Moses gets tired and puts his hands down, the battle starts to go the other way. We're kind of seeing a little bit of a model of prayer. But Moses is actually kind of, in a sense, because he's winning the battle. But he's the one up on the hill. He's not, he doesn't have a sword in his hand. He has a staff of God in his hand. And the reason for that staff of God is that there's a connection here, right? He holds the staff of God out over the, over the sea and the sea parts. He holds the staff out over the battlefield. They win the battle. The point is the battle is going to be won with the Lord. Uh, the battle will be lost without the Lord. That's the point. And later, he's going to address God by the name, Jehovah is my banner. God is my banner. If I'm fighting for God, if I'm under God, I win. If I'm not, I lose. And I love the way he put the last part, putting your hand on the throne of God. Reaching out to God, which is exactly what we do in prayer. I've heard prayer described as that way, as coming before the throne of God. I'm certain that that's effective in our lives. There have been so many times where I've been humbled by the recognition of somebody else's praying for me and my family. I remember when Al Egebrotten was here. I remember Sharon had already passed away. At one time he came up and he was sharing with me. He said, you know what Sharon did for me one time? She gave me this thing that was so helpful. And he pulled out this little thing and it was just these strips of paper. And they were for each day of the week. He had certain things that he'd pray for on Monday, certain things he'd pray for on Tuesday, other things he'd pray for on Wednesday, and right on through the week. He had had struggle being faithful in prayer, and Sharon gave him this idea and helped him make those things to help him to remember what to pray for every day. But as he was flipping through there, I saw my name, and not just the McClellans, the names of my kids itemized underneath it, and other people in the church I realized that, you know what, the things that I face in my life and that I come across, I'm not facing them alone. He might not even know what I'm going through. Sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. But I recognize, I realized that he was a regular basis praying for me over and over. I, I, I saw something similar with the Stapletons, I remember, at one time, and just feeling very humbled by the recollection that it's just so humbling to realize that other people are holding you up in prayer and you realize, you know what, I'm not doing this alone. That's part of community. We need that help in prayer and and with one another. But not only do we need help in prayer, we also need help in encouragement. And I find that also in this same incident. In fact, I, I think I could find that in both incidents, actually. But the one that really triggers it for me is as Moses is up there holding up the staff of God so that they can win the battle, he gets tired. And I can believe it. You know, one time when I was in junior high, I got in trouble. What happened was it was the last day of school. We'd already checked out of our classes and everything. We were just kind of at that goof-around point of the day. And a friend of mine and I were outside and we were throwing something back and forth. Anyway, the friend threw it to, my, to me. I just caught it. And a teacher came out the door. And I turned to throw it back to him and I thought, oh, 
probably shouldn't throw this. And my friend's like, what? Throw me, the, throw me the thing. I don't remember if it was a ball or what it was. And I looked over at the teacher and I thought, it's the last day of school. We're already checked out. He probably doesn't care. And I threw it back. Well, that was a mistake. Because he says, all right, you two, follow me. And he took us in the teacher's lounge. And all the teachers were in there just shooting the breeze. He handed each of us a ream of copy paper. And he says, there, stand there and hold it like this with your arms straight out. Wow. You can't believe it. At first you're like, no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> Pretty soon you're going, and you're like, back up. Like, oh. You can't believe how heavy a ream of copy paper gets at arm's length after just a little bit. Well, you can't imagine. Moses is going through that same thing, so he's not in trouble for anything. And he's holding up the staff of God, but your arm's getting tired. Have you ever just held your arm, just your arm itself up for a long time before? Just your arm will get heavy while Moses is holding up this whole thing. Thankfully, Aaron and Hur went up there with him. And what do they do? They are the support system for Moses. So as Moses is supporting the armies of Israel, they are supporting Moses. So pretty soon they're holding Moses' arm up with him. They get a rock. Here, Moses, sit on this rock so that he's lower so that they can probably prop up his arms against them and stuff to keep his arms up. Even Moses, as he's praying for Israel, Moses isn't alone. They are there to uphold Moses, to be an encouragement to Moses. And you know, we all need that same thing. In fact, that's a big part of why we're here, to be an encouragement, that, that, that ability to stay in, that ability, ability to stand strong when things are getting tired, when life is starting to feel heavy. This is one of those places where you should be able to count on that kind of encouragement that can pick you back up and help you to, to stay in the game, help you to keep going, help you to do right. You know, in the letter to the Thessalonians, in the first letter, Now, the Apostle Paul is specifically talking about end times events, and the Thessalonians were confused about some things. They were confused about their their loved ones that had died before Christ came back. And they're like, well, what happens to them? And the Apostle Paul writes to them and says, don't worry about them. If they've died and they're they're with Christ now, and they're going to be coming back with Him when He comes back, and then their bodies will be raised up, and they'll already be with Christ, and then you'll be caught up to be with Him. So they're okay. But at the end of that clarification, he tells them in verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. He says, now take that truth and use it to encourage one another. That was very specific about the certain truth, but then he does it in a generic way, kind of toward the end of the letter as well. In chapter 5 and verse 11, he says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This should be one of your ministries. One of the things that you're focused on doing is encouraging the people around you, building them up, strengthening them in their faith. The book of Hebrews probably gives us the most clear place in the Bible that tells us we ought to be in church. In Hebrews chapter 10, he says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, what I would like to point out is that the command here is not primarily to go to church. It's included in it, but it actually is the method that you're actually to carry out the primary command. What is the primary command? To stir one another up, to encourage one another. The point is, if you're not here, you can't encourage one another. The point also is, just by your presence here is already an encouragement To some, I will guarantee you that. But the main point is, we should be about being an encouragement, stirring one another up in their faith, lifting each other up, strengthening one another. In order to do that, let's all gather together. And that's church. 
And so the, the command isn't just to come in the door. The command is actually what happens after you're in here. Who are you going to bless today? Who are you going to try to strengthen, try to encourage in our relationships and our fellowship among us today? Well, thirdly, not only do we need prayer and encouragement, we also need from time to time counsel. And that we find in Moses' father-in-law. Moses' father-in-law shows up, if you read the first part of the chapter, to bring Moses' wife and kids to be with him. He had sent them back to his father-in-law's for a time. Uh, He comes and and he just sees what's going on. There's also some other practical helps probably within this. One thing that I like about this scenario that happens between Moses' father-in-law and his father is that he starts with praise. First thing he does is celebrate what God has done for them through Moses. They offer up offerings, and he's just excited to hear about how God had delivered them out of Egypt, brought them across the sea, and and how he had provided for them in the wilderness up to this point. But then he sees something within Moses' behavior that he thinks needs to be corrected, and so he's not shying away from the correction either. In fact, he just tells Moses, he says, look, what you're doing is not right. You are going to wear these people out, and yourself. And he's got a point. If Moses is the only one hearing these people's complaints and deciding all these arguments that they might have one before another and trying to teach them the Word of God and all these, then he's wearing himself out. That's for sure. And so his father-in-law gives him some counsel. He gives him some advice. He says, look, i got some advice for you. Listen to, listen to my advice. And then talk to God and He'll bless it. You know what? We all need counsel from time to time. We all need help. You know, in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 14, it says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. You know, I've found that whenever I am making an important decision in my life, I try to do several things. I try to go to the Word of God, obviously, because within the Word of God we find the principles, the way God operates within this world, and the things that He has for us to do. I also pray, because God's the source of wisdom, and I want it from Him. The book of James tells us, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask for God, and He gives it to us liberally. But I also find counselors. I try to track down other people that have gone through the same thing that I'm going through or about to go through and see what they've learned from their circumstances and situations. I try to ta- track down other people that are just maybe just people of godly character or people that I consider to be wise because God says in that you find safety. We're, we're not meant to operate just on our own wisdom alone, but to gain wisdom from other people as we face obstacles, struggles, challenges within our life. You know, Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. But then also, lastly, we notice that we also need cooperation. In other words, sometimes we just need some hands-on help. And that's exactly what Moses needs at this time. Moses is going to wear out because he's just not going to get a break. That line of people just isn't going to stop. It says all day long, so from early in the morning till late at night, probably he's going, and he's just not going to get a break. And you know what? We need breaks. We talked last week about how God had given them the Sabbath. We need a break every week. But Moses is going to wear himself out because he's not getting a break. But he's also going to wear down the people because the people are going to have important issues, important causes important answers that they need. And if they have to keep waiting and keep waiting and and the line isn't moving very fast, they get wore out. You know, I recognize it in myself. I notice that in being from a small community, I think I get wore out faster because I'm not used to the lines anymore. When I was in Seattle, of course you waited in lines. What else would you do? Of course you waited at stoplights and in traffic. What else did you do? But around here, we don't have them. 
You know what? A couple of weeks ago, Lisa and I went down to the cities, and we decided to go get some snacks before going to the hotel room, and it's like 9 or 10 at night. It's fairly late. And so we thought, let's just swing over to Walmart. We'll get like some licorice and some chips and stuff like that to maybe munch during a movie as we fall asleep or something. And so we went in there to get it, and we spent all this time picking out just the right snacks for what we were feeling like eating. And then we walked up, and there was a line. They only had one thing open. And there was a line that went out and all the way across the main aisleway. And we stepped up there, and we're like, well, we're not doing this. And we put all the stuff down, and we left. We put it all away, and we left. We do get worn out by having to wait for something. And that's what Moses is being told here is, look, they're going to get wore out. You're going to get wore out. This is not a good... You need some help. You need some cooperation from the people that are around you. Find people of character and put them in place around you. The Old Testament or New, we find the same thing, that we need help, that we live in community. We need to cooperate with one another. We need to help one another to be able to accomplish the tasks and the ministries that God has for us. We see the same thing in the early church. In Acts chapter 6, and starting in verse 1, it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, so the church was growing rapidly in Jerusalem, it says a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So what was happening is the early church was taking care of its widows. And so they were daily distributing to the widows what they needed. Well, you had Hebrew people that were part of the church, and you had Greek people that were part of the church. And the Greeks were saying, look, the Hebrews' widows are being taken care of lickety-split, but our widows are not getting such good treatment. And so this is what ends up with their discussion. It says, The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And the word tables there can actually mean, it can mean food tables like we often think of, or it can mean money tables. It's the same word used of the tables that Jesus turned over in the temple. So it probably has more to do with providing money to take care of the widow's needs than it does food. It says in verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So you see, the apostles are doing the same thing that Moses did back in the day. Because Moses' father-in-law tells him, look, you need to continue to teach the people the the precepts of God, the laws of God, and explain to them. And you're going to need to do some judging among them, but you need to divide it up so that other people do most of the judging so you don't get too bogged down with that, so that you can stick to teaching and a little bit of the judging. Well, that's what the apostles are doing. They're saying, look, if we stop and do all the taking care of the widows, then who's going to teach and preach the word of God? So we need to have, and this is actually the beginning of deacons. And in verse 5, it would go on to say, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and a list of these people. I'm not going to go through the whole list. And so they pick out these seven men. It says, These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, I'd like you to really recognize that last part. If we put this whole passage into a clear understanding, what it means is the early church came to a very personal problem in the dealing with how they dealt with their widows. And the early church came together, and they cooperated And they handled the problem in such a way that it led to further church growth. You know what? That's an awesome thing. I remember when we were in a church out in Washington. 
And they went through some real trying times. I've told you about those sometimes before. They went through a real trying times. And I remember in the midst of that, I thought of people that were pretty regularly coming to the church, had started coming to the church, but hadn't, hadn't really joined yet, weren't really, hadn't really cemented themselves in yet. And I thought, oh man, what's going to happen to those people? They're going to be gone. Do you know that every one of the people joined that church in the middle of that crisis? And the reason they did it was because at first that church really came together. The church grew. That's exactly what happens here. And it's what happens in Exodus. In Exodus, I'm not saying the people in Exodus grew in numbers, but they grew as a nation. Because now they would have more people being able to handle their problems. They wouldn't have to wait in those long lines. Moses would get the rests and the breaks that he needed, and things would function better. You know, also the Bible tells us about how that's supposed to work within the church in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. This is God talking about specific gifts that He gives to the church for the fulfilling of His ministry. Now, notice the purpose. So He breaks down those first ones. The apostles, which were a temporary office, we had 12 of them. Along with those, we had prophets. But then He comes down to these pastors, even teachers, or pastors and teachers. And most commentators think that that's probably dealing with one office within the church. So anyway, he's saying, look, we've put together the leadership of the church, but notice what the purpose is in that leadership. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, God uh, gifts some people with teaching so that he can teach the, they can teach the congregation so that the congregation can carry out the ministry. You see, the point is the church is never a one-person show. There are some gifts that are more visible than other gifts. And those gifts are there to strengthen all of our gifts so that we all work together. We are called the body of Christ. A body is something that has many different members, but as a united in one and works as one. My job is to provide you with what you need so that you can do what your gift is. I don't like being referred to as a minister very much. I mean, I don't have a real problem with it. I don't get upset or anything. But it's not really accurate. I'm a pastor because that's specific, but we're all ministers. We're all supposed to be ministering to one another and to people outside of here. But anyway, that's what he says. He says he gave it to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, When each part, notice this, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When is this body of Christ right here? When are we healthy? It's just like our body. Our our body is healthy when every part is doing what it's supposed to. When one part fails to be able to do what it's supposed to, then the whole body feels it. The whole body is sick. The church is healthy. The church does well when every part is able to do its part. When we function as one, as a body of Christ. 
We find that in many other places in Romans chapter 12. It says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. This is about all of us. We are members of Christ individually, but we are the body of Christ collectively. God never intended for us to go through this life alone. He, he designed us to live in community. As we live in community, there's going to be times where we get to help people and there's going to be times where we need somebody to help us. We need to pray for others and we need others praying for us. We need to be encouraging to others and we need encouragement from others. Sometimes you're going to be one, the one with the wise counsel and sometimes you're going to be the one in need of wise counsel. We need cooperation. Sometimes you need to cooperate with somebody else to help them out and sometimes you need their cooperation to help in your situation. You know, we find all those things met at one place in the body of Christ.